0: Hi, and welcome to Listen Up A-Holes, the only Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast who didn't do anything fun Saturday night because all the members of our barbershop quartet are dead. I'm Joshua Unruh, superhero scholar from Pulp Diction Productions.
1: And I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich of Chipperish Media. Together we are working our way through the good, the bad, and the bonkers of the Marvel Cinematic Universe.
0: So listen up, A-Holes. We're going to talk about Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Lonnie, I am so spectacularly excited to talk about Captain America, The Winter Soldier. Yay! (laughs) It has been my number one MCU movie, basically, since the moment it came out, until the moment that Black Panther came out, and now there's a tie. Yeah. But it's also a nice break from all of that, you know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. business. I'm just... Uh. just saying it's going
1: to get better it's going to get better so no, soon no it
0: did it literally did get better right before we did <laughs> this but at the same time it's like i there is no effort needed for me to enthuse about the winter soldier
1: all right good well i'm glad
0: and i get to tell you some fantastic four color facts oh yay because we get new characters and they are great awesome let's start with sam wilson aka the high flying falcon
1: Oh, I love him.
0: (laughs) Yes. Excellent. We should get something straight right now. Sam Wilson is fantastic. I will hear nothing else on the subject.
1: Not from me. You won't.
0: (laughs) He is a great character who I, I just feel like he really manages to compliment Captain America. He's sort of treated like a sidekick in a lot of ways, but he's so much his own character that he doesn't like fade into the background. He's more like a partner.
1: Yeah, he doesn't exist to—I mean, I don't know how it is in the comics, but in the movie, like, he doesn't exist to make Cap look good. He looks good along with Cap. Yes. <laughs> it's really nice.
0: No, I think that's that's maybe not exactly what they meant to happen in the comic books. They they mm-hmm. probably meant for it to be more of a sidekick situation. I don't really know, but I can tell you where they wound up is exactly that thing. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to be less to make Cap look better. Even when he recognizes, you know, his limitations in comparison to Captain America.
1: Well, because he's only human. Right.
0: And that part of his relationship in this film definitely is mirrored from where the comic books got to pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. So he has admittedly been somewhat mistreated sometimes in the comic books. But his roots are definitely in Stan Lee and Gene Colan trying to diversify the Marvel Universe. Mm -hmm. It's 1969. You have civil rights movements going on. They're looking out their window and they are realizing that their characters do not necessarily represent the New York they're seeing when they walk out the door. Right. Mm -hmm. And Gene Colan already was starting to try and just cycle different ethnicities of people into like his crowd scenes and things like Mm -hmm. that so when he and stan got together and decided to introduce a new character to complement captain america they both pretty easily came to we need to introduce an african-american counterpart right oh great Mm -hmm. first appearing in captain america number 117 sam starts out as an unnamed bird trainer who answered an ad for a hunting falcon Turns out that that ad had been placed by Nazis who live in exile on an island and work with the Red Skull.
1: Oh, poor Sam.
0: Man, stuff's complicated in the Marvel Universe. Don't answer random newspaper ads. It might be Nazis.
1: Uh, Right. Also true of Craigslist. Yeah. (laughs) You know, even as
0: I said that, I realized that was painfully close to 2018.
1: (laughs) Yes. Not as much has changed as you would like to hope. Whew,
0: Yeah. Man, what a downer. Okay, (laughs) we'll try and bounce back from that. Okay. Now, Sam comes to realize that he is, in fact, working for Nazis, and they call themselves the Exiles because they're living on this island, ostensibly in exile.
1: Oh, so am I supposed to feel sorry for the poor, poor Nazis?
0: No, to hell with them. (laughs) They get punched a lot.
1: Good, good, I'm yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's almost as though we were introducing a brand new character whose sole job was to punch Nazis next to another <laughs> character whose sole job was to punch Nazis. <laughs> because in the process of Sam realizing who he's working for, he mm-hmm. sees that they are also enslaving the natives of this island. Ah. Now, through some various machinations, he meets Steve, who had come to the island investigating some Red Skull business. Mm-hmm. Sam eventually realizes that Steve is Captain America, gets a little bit of training from Cap, puts on a costume as the Falcon, and then uses that training and his hawk sidekick, Red Wing.
1: All right. To
0: lead a revolution against the Exiles.
1: So two guys and a bird, right? Well, and all the natives. Like, (laughs) they they lead
0: an insurrection.
1: All right, all right.
0: Yeah, yeah. Pretty great.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Later, his background as a well-meaning and very effective social worker from Harlem is revealed. Like, we find Mm -hmm. out that that's what he was doing before he answered this ad. (laughs) (laughs) And then he spends quite a bit of time working with Captain America as Falcon, predominantly in New York City. I mean, for Mm -hmm. many issues. Mm -hmm. The book is even cover billed as Captain America and the Falcon for issues 134 through 192, and then again from 194 to 222. All right. Yeah, it's great. I love the idea that Sam is an African-American man of modest means, working for his neighborhood, and that he sees a kindred spirit in Captain America, who was, (laughs) you know, a poor kid from Brooklyn once upon a time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a lot of interesting back and forth between the two of them, especially when Falcon has the opportunity to call out Cap on what today we would call white privilege.
1: Oh, he does that?
0: Yeah. Now, you don't have African-American writers doing it mm-hmm. way back in the day. Right. But yeah, I mean, because again, you do have some men writing this who understand some of that experience as Jewish sure. men, right?
1: Sure, yeah.
0: And things had changed between the 1930s Brooklyn, where Steve probably would have himself been something of a minority, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, the Irish minority.
1: Sure.
0: You can't live like that in 1969, 1970, you know. Mm -hmm. Even if that was your upbringing, you've got to realize things have changed.
1: (laughs) Yeah, right. Mm -hmm.
0: You're pretty much in a good spot here, Steve, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, I'd love to see that kind of conversation go on in some kind of reboot or like an untold tale. Because Mm -hmm. the more I think about it, a white man out of time would be a really unique position to be clueless about a lot of race relations with Sam being his good friend who is also exasperated at his cluelessness. Sure. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of ways that this story could go sideways, but I feel Mm -hmm. like young white comic book readers – Seeing Cap getting the racial stuff wrong and then learning Mm -hmm. and growing through it from his African-American friend who is also not putting up with his privileged BS, that could be really powerful for those readers.
1: No, I think that's fantastic. I love that.
0: It could be great.
1: Yeah. We don't
0: quite get that over time. (laughs) (laughs) That's sort of the best possible option. (laughs)
1: Right.
0: Because it's not all good news.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Aww.
0: Later, Steve Englehart would retcon Sam as a mob-connected thug called Snap Wilson, Aww. whose memory of those times had been erased by the Cosmic Cube while he was on the island.
1: Uh-huh.
0: That is a white writer taking a decent but flawed take on an African-American character and instead turning him into... Yet another black ex-criminal trying to make good. And for fuck's sake, that is just garbage.
1: Oh, God. Honestly.
0: (laughs) Thankfully, I don't think this gets discussed much more. Like in recent years, we mostly lean on all of his time as the Falcon or we nod at the social worker backstory and just pretend that this retcon didn't happen.
1: Well, good. I'm glad. (laughs) I
0: think. I mean, I haven't seen that part of his background referenced in quite a while.
1: Okay, good.
0: Now, in 1974, Sam would receive a flying harness from Black Panther. Mm-hmm. This would be the first time that he actually flew. Okay. That's quite a while. You'll know 1969, boom, 1974. Yeah. He's not the high flying Falcon all that time.
1: So, as the Falcon, like, what was he doing to, like, you know, what was his, like, power that he could fight alongside Steve?
0: This is a beautiful question. <laughs> the 616 Falcon has actual superpowers.
1: Uh-huh. Okay.
0: Due to his exposure to the Cosmic Cube in his first adventure with Captain America, he received a mental link with Red Wing, his hawk. Okay. Now, over time, he expanded this to communication with other birds,
1: mm-hmm. though
0: never to the level of symbiosis he enjoys with Red Wing. Like, they are mm-hmm. connected. He can see through nearby birds' eyes and also give them generalized instructions. He has Mm -hmm. said, I have, you know, 10 million eyes across Manhattan because he was talking about pigeons. (laughs) And he was able to find someone very, very quickly with their help.
1: All right. Very cool. And
0: they do a pretty good job with this. It's kind of fun. Sometimes he's like, yeah, but when did you see him last? And then he gets a weird answer because pigeons don't really perceive time like humans do. (laughs) It's a lot of fun. And if I am honest, I like this a lot more than ex Air Force jetpack guy with guns.
1: Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it
0: feels more like superhero stuff.
1: Mm hmm. Right. Now, mm-hmm.
0: that's the only negative thing I have to say about Sam in the MCU. I will put up with that ex Air Force jetpack guns guy forever because their relationship, he and Steve's relationship, is excellent. So Just
1: so good. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll
0: put it aside. I just, it feels more like superhero stuff, right? It just. Yeah. Mm hmm. I talk to birds and then I get a jetpack. More recently, Sam took over as Captain America. Mm-hmm. Steve got old because of more Cosmic Cube nonsense. That thing just comes up a lot. The Red Skull's got kind of a fixation.
1: Okay. Uh-huh.
0: And as much as I love the idea of Falcon taking over for Steve, the concept is not really used to its uttermost at the time. Mm hmm. There's a romance with Misty Knight who we will eventually discuss much more when we get to the Luke Cage TV series. Uh-huh. And this is what happens when writers just start almost randomly romantically pairing their tiny number of characters of color.
1: <laughs> right.
0: They don't make the most sense together other than the fact that they're both black. Yeah. It's also written by noted hack Nick Spencer. <laughs> This is the fella who thought making Steve a Nazi was a cool, edgy story that definitely needed to be told in 2017.
1: Yeah, I don't even know much. Like, I mean, you know, I've obviously been watching the MCU and also, but I mean, like, I even heard about that. <laughs> like when that came up, everybody was furious about that.
0: Did you hear about this from someone other than me?
1: <laughs> yeah. No. Oh I heard wow. About it. it was like in the in the tweeters and everything. Like, I remember seeing that and people being really upset about it. So it made it enough of the main it made it too far enough into the mainstream that i saw it yeah it's so yeah it's mm-hmm. an
0: extremely questionable choice you know yeah. i mean mm-hmm. you think you need to tell this cool hip super edgy dark captain america story by making him a nazi when we are actually putting nazis in the white house maybe go fuck yourself
1: Perhaps this isn't the time.
0: Just maybe don't do that thing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and also, like, I don't know. It just seems to me like Steve's background and that internal torment that he has, there's plenty of material with which to make Steve go to a dark place, you know? So, I mean, there's plenty of stuff that you have to work with. You do not have to make him a Nazi when that is the antithesis of everything he is.
0: You're not kidding. When we get to a later story, there is a lot (laughs) of espionage-level darkness that... That you could have mined if that was the thing that you desperately needed to do. But that's yeah. not shocking and doesn't get you newsprint and yeah, doesn't lead enough. to further questionable decisions like Marvel going, Hey, you guys that own the comic shops, would you sell our comics while wearing Hydra gear in 2017?
1: <laughs> it's that sweet, sweet outrage money, man. <laughs> it spends just as good as money you earned being a decent person.
0: Well, I think it kind of cost them, to be honest. I mean, yeah. Not as much as it should have, because Spencer's still working, and again, <laughs> mm-hmm. he can go fuck himself. But <laughs> you saw more of this poor Spencer decision-making in the Falcon series, when, when Sam was Captain America.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: He put a lot of words into Sam's mouth that seemed not entirely congruous with what an African-American Captain America might say. Uh Uh-huh. And Spencer even later used the book and dialogue from Sam to make fun of detractors of this take.
1: Oh, God. So
0: he is a super professional guy who should definitely not still be working at Marvel, but is now writing Spider-Man. So, hey, 2018 is a dumpster fire that just keeps burning. (laughs)
1: Oh, my God. Can I go get a drink? (laughs) I know. Like, there's
0: not enough stuff in the real world that we have to do this. This is what I'm saying.
1: Seriously? Yes, exactly.
0: Didn't need it. Don't want it. Thanks a heap, Nick Spencer. Go ride Spider-Man. Maybe make him a Nazi. I don't know what makes sense there. Whatever. (laughs) Since then, Sam has returned to being the Falcon because Marvel Comics continues to make questionable choices with their properties. And I can't even keep track of all of these questionable choices anymore.
1: (laughs) So he was Captain America for a while. Yes. And then he went back to being Falcon.
0: Then there were two Captain Americas because Steve got young again.
1: Oh, okay. And
0: then that Steve turned out to be a Nazi. (laughs) And then there was a whole bunch of stuff. And then some sort of air quotes real Steve that hadn't been a Nazi came back and beat Nazi Steve. And nobody bought this. Nobody believed any of this nonsense.
1: Oh, my God. And then
0: after that, I like to think that the character of Sam Wilson was like, I feel like your brand is tarnished and I would no longer (laughs) like to be associated with it.
1: You know what? Can't blame him for that decision. No,
0: I, I don't know what actually happened, but that's entirely my head came in. He was like, yeah. here's your shield back. I'm really, I'm good. I'm good. I'm done
1: with this nonsense.
0: Super fine.
1: <laughs> I'm going back to the birds.
0: <laughs> let's lighten it up a little bit, shall we?
1: All right, let's.
0: Batrock the Leaper.
1: <laughs> the Leaper.
0: Yes, indeed. Okay. Okay. Now, at the beginning of the movie, we have this guy leading a group of terrorists who's Batrock and he's obviously very badass.
1: Yes. He has mm-hmm.
0: a fascinatingly short, sharp haircut and challenges mm-hmm. Steve to a fight. And Steve says, okay, because I got extra time to beat the <laughs> hell out of people that uh. have it coming. Uh-huh. In the comics, Batrock uh-huh. the Leaper is a French smuggler, criminal, and mercenary who is a master of parkour and savate, which is French kickboxing. Mm -hmm. He has no superpowers, but is a master criminal, a genius tactician from his time in the French Foreign Legion, and his mastery of martial arts has given him extremely powerful leg muscles, hence his (laughs) appellation.
1: So does he literally leap on people? Is that what he does? Yeah, and then he
0: kicks them real hard.
1: (laughs) Well, you know what? Work with what you got. Oh, but wait, it gets
0: better. (laughs) He is often written with a terrible French accent, which is why mm-hmm. myself and so many others usually describe him as Batroc the <laughs> He first appeared in Tales of Suspense number 75, 1966, created by Stanley and Jack Kirby, everybody drink. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I feel like Batroc is worth noting as a Lee Kirby idea that doesn't actually work. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, because superhero comics do not throw things away, we're going to get a version in the MCU. Seems legit.
1: You know, I mean, if you need a character, it makes sense to pull one from the depths of Marvel Comics because there's just so much there.
0: Exactly. There's no reason to it. make up a new one.
1: They just they just put their names on little pieces of paper and then pull it out of the fishbowl whenever they need somebody new.
0: I need like a third tier cap villain. Hang on, let me see. How about Batrock <laughs> Zaleper? <laughs> I mean, he even has like a douchey mustache and a whole thing. Yeah, it's quite a thing. It's quite a thing. I want to mention somebody kind of briefly and in passing. Yeah. Because Sharon Mm -hmm. Carter, a.k.a. Agent 13 of S.H.I.E.L.D., does Mm -hmm. appear in this movie. But her actual identity is not divulged until Captain America Civil War. And to be honest, she has a much larger role there than in Winter Soldier, Mm -hmm. which isn't saying much, but she does. And so I would like to return to Agent 13 when we talk about Civil War and we actually have her identity revealed on screen.
1: Sure. No, I think that's a good idea.
0: This also gives me the opportunity to revisit Arnim Zola, who I promised (laughs) you would get to hear so much more about for this film. Yes! Because he was in First Avenger.
1: Uh Uh-huh, he was.
0: But not in a version that is closest to the parts of the comics that are weirdest and most fun. Okay I want to prep you and our listeners
1: mm-hmm.
0: that I do have a big reveal of what he looks like in Modoc fashion <laughs> Just like when I showed you Modoc it's like we're gonna oh, go through this yeah. thing. We're going to talk see, this about This is them. why
1: I don't look at your notes. That's right. This is why I don't look at them before we do the show. <laughs>
0: this is going to be fantastic. But you have uh-huh. to hear all the nonsense then you can see what he looks like.
1: I'm ready to click. You tell me when it's time. Broccoli
0: before your dessert. That's what That's I'm saying. Right.
1: <laughs>
0: First appearing in Captain America number 208 in 1977, Arnim Zola is a Swiss biochemist who is invited by Baron Strucker to join Hydra. Mm -hmm. So remember, in the comics, Hydra is Strucker's baby, not Red Skull's. Red Skull is busy off leading the regular Nazi army in the war. Mm -hmm. And Hydra itself is created in the aftermath of the fall of the Reich, rather than as a part of it. Okay, I think this is important because, like we discussed for First Avenger, it doesn't erase the actual Nazi roots of the organization. Yes. Mm -hmm. At any rate. The fact that Zola is a biochemist rather than an engineer is a big deal in the 616. Mm -hmm. He was all about genetic experiments, even back during the war. He -hmm. discovered a genetic offshoot of mainline humanity called the Deviants. Mm -hmm. Now, I quietly expect that the Eternals are going to make a showing in the MCU eventually, so I am going to wait until then to talk about Eternals and Deviants. Because we don't have time now. Okay. (laughs) For now, just know Zola is a genius who grows bodies of various types and built a machine that could copy the brainwave patterns from a human being and implant them in something else. All right. He did this first by copying Hitler into a hooded supervillain figure called the Hatemonger.
1: Oh my God.
0: And if a clone of Adolf Hitler dressed in a purple Ku Klux Klan outfit and armed with a hate ray that makes anyone hit with it hate literally everybody seems a bit on the nose, I will refer you to my ongoing discussion of how Stan Lee and Jack Kirby were not subtle, and God bless them for it. <laughs> Zola also used his abilities to clone a body from Steve Rogers and his machine mm-hmm. to copy the Red Skull's mind into it when the skull was aging rapidly and near death.
1: Uh-huh. This is
0: where the first Avenger gets this idea of having a super soldier bodied red skull. Okay. This was not the case throughout most of the comics, but then Zola worked his magic, and here we are. Mm-hmm. Most famously, Zola used the machine to copy his own mind into an android body that somehow manages to share a lot of visual similarities with a 1970s computer rig and Winter Soldier. Lonnie, click that
1: link! Oh, Jesus. Wow. Yeah. His head is in the middle of his chest.
0: Well, that's an android body, so that's actually it's a television screen. an android screen. body.
1: Oh, okay, so it's a television screen. With his
0: face really big. Yes. Like, his face is as big as his torso, and then he has a closed- circuit television camera on top where his head would be that he can see the world with
1: so he can see everybody else and what is that in his left hand is that a remote control of some sort
0: almost certainly i mean the man is just famous for his various and sundry doomsday devices which mostly take the form of hideous (laughs) mutations he has a he has a monster thing called Doughboy. that is basically what happens when you tinker with human genetics to the point that the thing turns essentially to clay it's not pretty
1: (laughs) well we will definitely have that link in the show notes for everybody else to enjoy
0: yeah if you don't know what arnim zola looks like you are going to be amazed at how well they represent him in this film Uh in winter soldier without going Quite to the level of insanity that Lee and Kirby were prepared to go.
1: No, it was it was kind of neat in this movie how they did that.
0: I mean, yeah, I can't imagine them doing anything else now, you know. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: it really nods at the comic book stuff without getting as wild as you know. Sometimes I would like them to. Like I said, I kind of prefer right. when they go whole hog superhero stuff. But <laughs> but let's get a little serious. Yes. And talk about Bucky Barnes.
1: Oh.
0: AKA the Winter Soldier.
1: Poor tragic Bucky.
0: Yeah, really.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, as discussed in our episode about the first Avenger, Bucky Barnes began as one of the many kid sidekicks that spawned after the creation of the sensational character find of 1940, Robin the Boy Wonder. <laughs> Back then, a superhero wasn't shit without a kid sidekick, and so Cap mm-hmm. got one.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, Bucky's origin is, if anything, Far more disturbing than Robbins when seen through a modern eye. Oh, no. In The 616, Bucky and Cap are not lifelong friends. James Buchanan Barnes is an Army brat constantly on the move with his father, and he is orphaned when his dad dies in training at U.S. Army Camp Lehigh just before the United States gets involved in World War II. Mm-hmm. Bucky is unofficially adopted by the camp as a mascot. This is also when he gets his nickname. And he starts wearing a uniform and basically takes cosplaying an American GI way too far <laughs> as a teenager who is literally living with no parents on a military training base. Oh, wow. He meets and befriends Private Stephen Rogers, who is still doing secret identity stuff for some reason and pretending <laughs> to be a super clumsy private in the army. Okay. (laughs) Bucky starts hero-worshipping Captain America while also befriending his unassuming alter ego. And I think you can all see the Lois Lane-Clark-Kent Superman pattern developing here. And yeah, I ship it. (laughs) When they're adults in the MCU, not in the 616 because the connotations are kind of disturbing.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Bucky eventually figures out that Steve is Cap, demands and basically blackmails his way into being his partner, and receives oh. extensive training so that he can fulfill that role. Mm-hmm. The American government justifies this to itself by making him basically the anti Hitler youth. Okay. He joins Cap in the invaders and also serves on his own in the kid commandos, the Liberty Legion, and the Young Allies. That Cap oh, got wow. around.
1: He's a busy kid.
0: Yes. He was very popular. I mean, as popular as Captain America was, there was Bucky. And so whenever there were these junior versions of superhero teams punching Nazis, Mm -hmm. he's got to go.
1: There you go. All right.
0: The supposed end of Bucky's life and career isn't recounted until Avengers number 56, when Cap recalls his final mission and how that left him frozen in the North Atlantic. Mm -hmm. Bucky was held up as one of the few characters in superhero comics that would stay forever dead. Ha ha. (laughs) In the absolutely fantastic and recommended with highest honors possible run of Captain America by Ed Brubaker starting Mm -hmm. around 2005, Mm -hmm. we discover that Bucky did not in fact die on that final mission. He was discovered by a Russian patrol submarine and taken into custody. He suffered brain damage and amnesia as well as losing an arm, but he Mm -hmm. retained all of his training and reflexes. The Soviet government replaced his arm and reprogrammed him to be an infiltration and assassination expert who could use his American background and special skills to do missions nobody else could manage. In between missions, they kept him in cryogenic freeze, so he's only aged a few years into subjective young adulthood.
1: Oh, God. At
0: the point that Brubaker's run kicks off. Uh huh. It was during this run that we got some of the retcons that turned him into a master of infiltration, even back in World War II. Mm hmm. Because back then, he was just a kid sidekick in superhero stories that sometimes had GIs in him, right?
1: Yeah. mm -hmm. Now,
0: he becomes the kind of guy who can go ahead of Captain America and the other superheroes and clear the way by doing a bunch of awful shit that Cap should not be seen doing.
1: (laughs) Okay.
0: As he is 15, I don't personally feel this makes his life as a kid sidekick less problematic. (laughs) But it probably typifies some of why, even in the best stories, treating superheroes too realistically is not a good idea.
1: Yeah. Just, Mm -hmm.
0: I love this run, but I'm also like, man, Brew, you are not making this better.
1: Right.
0: (laughs) So, we have a couple of honorable mentions. Mm
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Alexander Pierce. Yes. Our villain of this piece. He is a guy in the comics, but he's nothing like he is in the MCU. Mm-hmm. He first appeared in 1988. He's a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent who works in accounting and is also mm-hmm. a double agent decoding S.H.I.E.L.D. dispatches for other parties. He does some stuff with Nick Fury and Madame Hydra and none of it matters. I just don't want to be accused of missing something.
1: Okay. <laughs> so he's a big nobody. We made him into somebody for this movie. This
0: is a much better example even than Batrock of the do we have mm-hmm. somebody who works for S.H.I.E.L.D. that is like nondescript white dude. Right. Cool. Let's age him up and make him Robert Redford.
1: Let's promote him. Right. Exactly.
0: (laughs) On every level promotion. We're going to put him in charge and we're going to make him Robert Redford. (laughs) We also have a little bit of equipment that I like. Ooh. mm -hmm. We have Black Widow's bracelets.
1: Which hold Mm -hmm.
0: two pieces of useful technology. The Widow's Bite, which is what they call Mm -hmm. the kind of shocking thing. And then a swing line.
1: Yes. Mm -hmm.
0: So, we will see these again in later movies, and those devices actually look more like what she wears in the comics. Mm -hmm. But nevertheless, Winter Soldier is the first appearance of what is called, in the comics, the Widow's Bite. God, I love Mm -hmm. that crazy name. (laughs) In those same bracelets, she also has a grapple and a swing line, and that's important because that is the preferred transportation of non-flying superheroes. Sure. Mm -hmm. It's simple, but I love the inclusion of that stuff. That's just... They're pushing that envelope. They're not pushing it as fast as I would like it into weird comic book stuff. But we're getting there. And to be honest, yeah. any more weird comic book stuff would have been wildly out of place in Winter Soldier. <laughs> so it's
1: Yeah, because Winter Soldier is so anchored in. I mean, it really is like this very personal, very deep story. You know, while you've got all of this crazy action going on, but there's there's lots of much deeper stuff. There And I think if you get, you know, kind of too campy, you know, (laughs) too much into the comic book stuff that could kind of take away from that.
0: Yeah, it's a fine line, right? I mean, I think Arnim Zola is a good example of this.
1: Yeah, they Mm -hmm. took
0: this very sinister over the top comic book thing Mm -hmm. and turned him into a differently but nevertheless just as sinister approach that was more appropriate for the film
1: yeah absolutely all right so now that you've done the four color facts i'm going to do a brief production thing so we can talk about this movie because this movie is great captain america the winter soldier was released in 2014 it's the first marvel film directed by the russo brothers anthony and joe Drink. who would go on <laughs> right, i mean that's going to be go like
0: on. lee and kirby we're just going to get there yeah
1: yeah the russo's and kirby and and marcus and mcfeely who are also part of this yes <laughs> but anyway the Russo brothers are going to go on to direct Captain America Civil War Avengers Infinity War and Infinity War 2 um, and the Winter Soldier was also written like I just mentioned by the familiar team of Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely who did the first Captain America movie along with Civil War Infinity War and Infinity War 2 so we have a team all working together which I think is kind of nice you know they, they get each other's rhythms and they know how to work together and they know how to do this stuff so I think it's nice that we've got these kind of this team working together um Um, putting out these movies and they're they're pretty good Uh, Marcus and McFeely you may also remember were the showrunner creators for the Agent Carter TV series so um, I have to say as writers I really like their work I think they're fantastic and I'm really glad that they unlike most of the other people who've worked with Marvel up to this point have not swiped left (laughs) they seem to be hanging in there so I'm really appreciating that because they're very very good I like the way that they do their writing. Um, In this movie, we get a couple of new characters. Uh, We get Anthony Mackie playing Sam Wilson, Falcon, right? And he is fantastic from the beginning. So it's really fun to see him there. It's always great to see Falcon. Um, And we have Emily Van Camp as uh, Kate slash Sharon slash Agent 13. We don't really know who she is. But she's she's in there, kind of in the background, um, and some of you may know her from the TV show Revenge, <laughs> which I watched like a season of. Um, not great, but you know, if you're into soap operas, you could definitely. But is watch she it and great? Because
0: I like her a she's, lot.
1: She's okay. Like, I don't know. My my jury is a little out on her. Okay. I, I'll wait to spend more time with her later. But, I mean, she's okay. She doesn't, you know, like knock my socks off or anything. But they haven't given her much to do yet either. So we'll see. We'll see as we move forward in the MCU <laughs> if, I, if I warm up to Emily Van Camp. Um, <clears throat> we also have the return, of course, of Sebastian Stan as Bucky Barnes. We have Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow. Haley Atwell as Peggy Carter. Which made me cry. It was awful, for real every and, time. Oh my just god! Every time. I know, so heartbreaking. Uh, of course, Samuel L. Jackson is Nick Fury, but most of all, most of all, and I know this is what Joshua is most excited about. We have Maximiliano Hernandez as Agent Jasper Sitwell. So I know that was really exciting for you to see.
0: <laughs> this guy gets the best
1: comeuppance. <laughs>
0: it's just a delight. Oh my
1: god. Yeah. You know, what's funny is I had forgotten completely that he was Hydra the whole time. Right. <laughs> like when we were watching him. Like because I, when I watched The Winter Soldier, like back when I when I first watched it, like I wasn't paying attention to these recurring characters. I hadn't really I don't even think at that point that I was still watching S.H.I.E.L.D. I was sick of <laughs> that, you know, um, I had dropped off S.H.I.E.L.D. at that point because I just was sick of it. Um but, of course, now I, I love it, love I it, love it cause it's so so good. Um, but anyway, so Sitwell was not somebody who really made it, you know, like all he was in the background a lot of these things, and he yeah. hadn't made it up into, like, you know, me me recognizing him. So when he was Hydra, I was like, oh my God, that whole time, that bastard, you know, <laughs> there he was hanging out with Colson. He was Hydra the whole time. Gemma, shoot him again. Shoot him again, I know. <laughs> All right, so that moves us into our discussion of the movie. Now, Joshua, I know that you have very lukewarm feelings about The Winter Soldier. <laughs> I know that yeah, clearly. You know, yeah. Clearly. All right. It's so okay. where do you want to start? Uh, you know, one of the things that I love about, about Cap and that I think is always fun. And I like that Marcus and McFeely kind of always keep this central to his character is that he is he's a good man. He has a really strong sense. His moral compass like never wavers. But that doesn't seem to give him any comfort. Like, yeah. being good doesn't make him feel any better and we we open up this movie with him you know i mean he's he's running around he's doing that cute thing with sam on your left on your left you know (laughs) and they meet and it's incredibly adorable and i love that sam is yelling at him and then of course knows who he is well yeah 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 i mean everybody knows who he is um so it's just this really like sweet moment and like he he connects with people but it feels to me like he connects with them because he has this incredible, um, I think, like, respect for people. He has empathy for people. He always wants to make people feel good when they're in his presence. But he's so disconnected, you know? Mm-hmm. So here he is, like, kind of bonding with Sam and being incredibly friendly and incredibly charming and writing down Trouble Man in his in his list, which I thought was hilarious, his little pop culture list. <laughs>
0: now, are you aware, little, a little... Uh like Easter egg or I guess side note. Yeah. Are you aware that that list changed quite a bit depending on where in the world the movie showed?
1: I was. I saw that. I saw that they had different, they had like, you know, different pop culture references depending on where, because people, you know, watching in the UK may not catch Mm -hmm. some of the stuff that we had. Um, But it was kind of funny. For us, for the American version, it was I Love Lucy, Moon Landing, Berlin Wall, in parentheses up and down yes. <laughs> steve jobs parentheses apple <laughs> disco thai food star wars with a slash through it it has actually there's a slash through star wars and then it says slash trek <laughs> so apparently somebody told him star wars wasn't worth it i guess um nirvana rocky and of course now trouble man so <laughs> i thought that was kind of sweet it's
0: a fascinating hodgepodge
1: It really is. is. And it kind of tells you who he's hanging out with. Yeah. He's hanging out with a lot of guys. Nobody mentioned Pride and Prejudice. Nobody mentioned the 1995 uh, BBC Pride and Prejudice. So I know that he hasn't been talking to any women because that's the first thing a woman is going to mention to him. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Colin Firth in the lake, man. I'm telling you, that is powerful. Every woman knows it. Listen, I'm not going to say
0: no because. (laughs) I wouldn't have put that on his list. So yeah.
1: Oh, see, I would have. That would have been. I would have been like Cap. Let us sit down and have a talk. You know. Um, But uh, but anyway. So we have this this nice moment with uh, with Sam where they're they're kind of connecting and but it's still like he's still. Separate, like he's still so separate from everybody, and we have all this stuff with um with Nat, where you know they're in the middle of the fight, and we have these conversations about who he's going to ask out. You know, right? Like it's a good trying.
0: ongoing bit. Yeah,
1: right. You know, and they and she brings it up. You know, it's just kind of a casual conversation while they're beating people up. You know, on this ship that has been taken by pirates, um, and it's it's kind of fun. You know, they've got that. That connection, her, him and Nat. And I think Nat also knows what it is to be disconnected. Yes. You know, I mean, because she has this, she's giving him that talk, you know, when they, she's like, was that your first kiss since 1945? And he's like, well, how can you tell, you know, and all this kind of <laughs> stuff. And, and they go back and forth with this stuff. And then, you know, she talks about how she's kind of pulled back and disconnected, even while she's trying to make him connect to other people. And he says that's a tough way to live. And she says it's a good way not to die, though. Mm-hmm. You know, so I find it really interesting that she is so invested in him. You know, she's so like, who are you going to ask out? What are you going to do? Because she wants him to have what she apparently cannot. And I kind of like that.
0: I get a real brother sister vibe.
1: Yeah and, yeah. and interestingly, even during the kiss,
0: <laughs> almost more like, like twins in a way, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. nobody feels like the older sibling all the time.
1: Right. Like mm-hmm. like Nat feels mm-hmm.
0: much more sort of worldly and is that your first kiss? What about this yeah. girl? You know. Mm-hmm. And Steve is very much the now, Natasha, you know that this is not how people should run their lives. You know.
1: Right. They they're, they're mm-hmm.
0: both, mm-hmm. you know, so co equal in different ways. I, I really mm-hmm. love that relationship.
1: Yeah. What I find really interesting about Cap too is that he is most, I think, present. When they're not talking about him, when the conversation goes to him, when it goes to his, you know, his dating somebody. Um, you know, he has that thing where, you know, she's like, why are you not asking anybody out? You know, and she's, and he's like too busy and he hops out of the back of the thing. Like he is not interested in having this conversation about himself. I think that he's already accepted. You know, he has that one moment, you know, where he says, how am I going to share? Like, how am I going to have life experience with somebody where they're going to understand anything that I've been Mm -hmm. through, you know, anything in my life, you know? And I think from Nat's point of view, she's like, they don't have to understand anything to have a, you know, have a nice evening. Yeah um but he wants that deeper connection and he feels like he can't have it you know with anybody and so we have him you know in the now with sam and nat who are both you know basically connecting with him but he's still withdrawn like he's still not feeling it and then we have him reaching out of course to peggy in mm-hmm. the most heartbreaking scene oh that has ever been anywhere when he's talking to her and they're having this you know and she remembers and then he turns away for a moment and she relives him coming back like how awful that's got to be to know that if he goes to see her he's gonna make her relive that moment again because she can't remember how
0: many times has he watched her do that it's how many Ugh. times
1: it's got to be so heartbreaking because she's the one that has the life experience that knew him before, you know, but she can't remember him. And then Bucky, his best friend, like, you know, the guy that was that was everything. I mean, his his, you know, most deep personal relationship doesn't remember him either and is trying to kill him like all of that for Cap, just feels like so much weight. And it's so like all of this becomes so deeply personal. And I love the way that they did that, that they pulled that personal story into this, because if it was just Cap fighting off another bad guy, and there's this winter soldier, and there's all these action pieces and all that kind of stuff, it wouldn't have the kind of power that it has cuz like all the shield you know nonsense all the the mechanisms and the politics and the you know and I love nick fury but still like all of that stuff is not that interesting. I don't think it's anywhere near like what makes this movie so great. I think it's this this personal journey for for cap You know, to see his best friend and then to try to save him, even with uh, even with that guy trying to kill him and shooting him. You know what I mean? Everything that that he's done. I'm with you to the end of the line. Oh, my God.
0: So I disagree.
1: Yes. (gasps) You disagree. I do.
0: I deeply disagree. And I can use another MCU movie that we will talk much more about later to support my point. I think this movie is nowhere near as good as it is without both of those things.
1: Okay. Mm -hmm. Because
0: this is 2014, and again, even more so now, this discussion of preemptively dealing with, air quotes, threats.
1: Oh, yeah. In
0: a world, a culture of constant surveillance. Yeah. In the idea that at a certain point, you individual, whoever you are, wherever you're at, you doing the right thing. Rolls forward and it's important Mm -hmm. and that bigger right things can happen if individuals do the right thing is incredibly important Mm -hmm. as a message right now, let alone in 2014, let alone going forward from now, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm intellectually interested in that discussion, and I'm, I'm actually really interested, especially with the greater context of S.H.I.E.L.D., because we've been having that discussion all season yeah. long on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Absolutely. right? Like, these are not good things. Uh-huh. You think you're doing, you know, it ends justifying the means, but it's not. You know, it doesn't yeah. justify the means. Um, and also what, what the what is goodness, you know, like, how do you define goodness, it's the right thing that an individual does in a particular instance, which is caps goodness, right? It's always an individual thing. But then we have this big picture, you know, how do we save? How do we rescue the most people, but it's a very paternalistic, you know, kind of approach. And you can understand the arguments that people are making. But this is a bad like the stuff that shield is doing the difference between shield and Hydra, you know, it's basically one, right? a logo. Yeah, it's the logo. I mean, like, you know, one or the other. Like, Hydra, I think, of course, is, is presented as being much, much more, like, openly evil. But the things that S.H.I.E.L.D. is doing, the things that Fury is doing, when they have that conversation earlier on, um, you know, we're going to neutralize a lot of threats before they even happen. And Cap says, I thought the punishment usually comes after mm-hmm. the crime. Right, yes. you know, and that right there, like, sums it all up. And this is the stuff that they're doing in Shield. So I think that all of that stuff is really intellectually and philosophically interesting. But my argument is, is if that was all there was in this film, I wouldn't find it anywhere near as engaging. It's the personal journey for Cap, going from this this disconnected place, this place where he holds himself at a distance. Um, I think, you know, partially because the idea of connecting with somebody again. I mean, he. Loves lost Bucky and he lost Peggy you know and he has that loss that he carries with him always you know and getting close to people again means that you're putting yourself at risk for that kind of loss that can be really really tough so I love this this personal journey for him I love the fact like if the Winter Soldier had been anybody else I wouldn't care about it you know but because it's Bucky that's what matters now the flip
0: of this and we can put a pin in it and go into much more deep detail on it when we get there but I really feel like the counterpoint to that is Mm -hmm. civil war Mm-hmm. I like Civil War. Yes. The bigger picture of Civil War is thick as three planks. It is dumb. <laughs> but the, the stuff I care about in Civil War is only Steve and Bucky's stuff. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. I like Civil it's War that a lot. So this is not me like mm-hmm. hammering Civil War. It's just right. comparing it to this, where in Civil War, we only have that emotional stuff between Bucky and Steve being yes. strong. Whereas in this mm-hmm. one, we have both the kind of larger philosophical world being extra strong and the emotional part being extra strong. And I think yeah. the two of them together, it's like a, was it the sine wave? They hit each other and get bigger. Or is that when they cancel out? <laughs> Who knows? It's science. I don't you know. get me. <laughs> the, the only having the emotional center, which is what I think civil war has. It does not have yes. a strong grasp on the bigger philosophical questions Makes it very much the lesser of the two films.
1: Yeah. So that's why I say the two of them
0: together is like, Mm -hmm. yes, that's. And they come together in Bucky, right? Like they both come together in Bucky and that's masterful stuff. Mm -hmm. A Cap Mm -hmm. doesn't just tell people to do the right thing, even though it's going to be hard and might get them killed. He then turns around and does the right thing, even though it's very hard and might get him killed.
1: Yeah, he does the right thing a lot. He is really into throwing himself on the grenade. I gotta say. (laughs) This is the thing about him. Like, I am wondering if Cap doesn't just have a little bit of a death wish. If he doesn't just want to have it be done. You know, he sacrificed himself once and they bring him back. He's always sacrificing himself. And I think part of that is because that's the right thing to do. That's who he is. We saw him throw himself on the fake grenade back in, you know, the first Avenger. Like, this is just who he is. But I think part of him wants it. It's just too hard. I think
0: we might, again, this is one we'll put a pin in. We might get to a place where I feel like that's more the case. But by the end of this one, when he has made, like, real tangible change... To the world. Yeah. And he now has mm-hmm. actual friends in Sam and Natasha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a purpose that is both important to the larger world and to himself in Bucky. And he got mm-hmm. through to Bucky. Right? He didn't win. Yeah. But he didn't lose Bucky either. Right. So I think, for me, I can definitely see where you're going. And I think there is definitely an argument for that here in a few movies. Mm-hmm. But right now, I feel like we were headed that way and pulled it out. Which will, of course, make it all the more tragic. <laughs> when we get to that place a little later
1: yeah definitely um but i like and this is the thing like you know i've said it a million times i hate the capital g good characters Mm -hmm. like the capital g the super super white hats they're always so good Cap is so genuinely, that is just genuinely who he is and he can't be anything else. He doesn't do it because it makes him better than everybody else. He doesn't do it because it's its the heroic thing. He does it because he doesn't have a choice. This is who he is. This is what he knows to be right and to be good and that is what he's going to follow. You know, he has such a strong internal moral compass. He cannot go any other way. And he knows it, you know, and I really love that. But it also brings into him this sadness and this, you know, and I don't know that I would necessarily define it as darkness, but I feel like it does kind of leave him in a shadowy place.
0: No, I can I can see that. I mean, I think Mm -hmm. I would push back a little on the no choice thing Mm -hmm. because he looks at people who definitely have similar choices to him and made different ones. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, Natasha is in her way a super soldier mm-hmm. and, or a super spy in the way that he is a super right. soldier and broke differently, you know. Yeah. Um, Nick mm-hmm. Fury, ostensibly a guy who ought to be doing the right thing because Captain America is working for him, right. is not doing the right thing, you know.
1: No. Um,
0: and, and if there's a comeuppance that should have come in this movie and didn't, it's Nick Fury. I'll just – throw that out there.
1: Well, I mean, you know, he lost Shield, he got shot a number of times. He really did almost die. Like he's, you know, he's taken a beating.
0: That guy is like one piece of information away from being Baron Strucker or Red Skull.
1: Yeah, you know, so it I kinda really, want more. <laughs> yeah. No. I, I I want God, I want I don't know that it's necessarily a redemption arc for for Nick. Um, but I want a realization arc for Nick yeah. I want I want him to look at what he's done and suddenly realize what it means and the thing is we we don't get that from Nick Fury because he's Nick Fury <laughs> like he is he is kind of the you know the antagonist on my side right yeah. you know he's the, he's the one who's whose worldview he he looks at everything from this very specific, perspective and i think i genuinely believe that he believes what he's doing is the right thing you know i um, mean he says i'm dealing with the world as it is not the world as i would like it to be which is it's kind of a defense that people when they kind of slide into that dark yeah, place yeah. you know kind of use right you know this is the way it is i don't like it you don't like it but we got to deal with it the way that it is it's that very kind of pragmatic you know sort of approach it's where that, Natasha that, is. That, Right. And that leads you into a space where it, it can almost justify anything you do because not your fault is how the world is. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, whereas Cap is willing to make the sacrifices, you know, to hold up to his, you know, what he knows to be right. And it's always on an individual level. You know, he will always save anybody, any one person that he yes, can. yeah. You know? Yeah. So, I think that's um, a big yeah.
0: deal. You, you, you're kind of coming mm-hmm. into it right there, I think. Like, Captain America, yeah. Steve Rogers, his moral compass is save everybody. And yes. Nick's is save as many as I can. Right. And that is a right. slippery, slippery slope, you know?
1: Well, I mean, philosophically, what is it? Is that utilitarian? Util- I think that's right?
0: utilitarianism, yeah. Like, what's the, yeah, so the it's best like- for the most?
1: what's the maximum good right you know it's the trolley problem right do you do you turn the trolley and kill one person deliberately or do you leave it alone have no input in it and it runs over five people right mm-hmm. you know but it's like do you take do you do the move, you know? And, like, you know, you know, Captain America would find a way to stop the trolley. <laughs> like, and if it means throwing himself in front of the trolley, that's what he yeah, would he'd do. Like you know, he would sacrifice throw himself. Throw himself
0: in front of the trolley to derail it. I mean, this is an exactly. imperfect metaphor, obviously, but yeah.
1: Right. But, I mean, that's the thing. Like, whereas Nick Fury would absolutely kill the one person to save the five. Not even thinking about and it. And
0: this is where I have kind of two things there. One, to wrap up mm-hmm. the, the kind of comparison there. But I think that that sadness that you get from Captain America is contrasted in Nick because Nick sleeps very well, thank you. Yeah. Right? Yeah,
1: exactly. Doing
0: the wrong thing and he sleeps just fine. And Captain America does the Mm -hmm. right thing and he does not sleep well. But it's still the right thing, you know.
1: But it's still the right thing. Well, the thing is, is that, you know, do you pay for the right thing? Yeah, you know, I mean like a lot of times the right thing is not the easy thing. Very rarely is the right thing the easy thing. Very rarely is the right thing the thing that's going to um you know to make your life easier, you know. I mean, the um, price
0: of freedom is high. It always yeah, has the been. the price of freedom yeah. is high.
1: Exactly. That you have to make those sacrifices.
0: We we have a very American view here so it's freedom there and that's that's fine because sure. again we're talking about mm-hmm. uh you know, the surveillance culture and things like that in this, in the terms of this film. But I mean, what he really means is goodness. Like the price of doing the right thing is high and it always has been. Mm -hmm. And I, and if I'm the, and that's, man, his captain's order speech. If I'm the only one who's willing to pay it, so be it. But I bet I'm Mm -hmm. not. And that is amazing.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: The other small thing I wanted to say about Nick Fury is I would also I agree with you that realization moment would be amazing but I think this is the last movie where we actually treat Nick Fury like a character instead of like a plot yeah. device. So yeah, we're never going to get that. Very often, you know,
1: very often a plot device. The lamp the is not going to have and, a
0: realization yeah. about its life, Lonnie. You know. Oh
1: my god, but I know, <laughs> but I would love it. I would love to see Nick Fury um kind of see this this you know, like actually the smaller picture he is Right. He is so yes. big picture and so pragmatic. And I want him to see, you know, that that you have to do the harder thing. You yep. know, do the harder thing and um and not make these choices. Cause the, you know, the whole surveillance thing, the whole we're stopping things before they happen You know, I mean, that that is not a good path to be on. That's what we're seeing over with Coulson and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in the TV show. And it's not good, you know, and it's one of these things where we do present Nick as heroic. Mm -hmm. You know, he's S.H.I.E.L.D. and S.H.I.E.L.D. is heroic. But S.H.I.E.L.D. is not a not that much of a stone's throw away from Hydra.
0: Right. I mean, and that's the Mm -hmm. that's the thing that happens in this movie that we are all aghast by. And two seconds later, we're like, no, that scans. You yeah. know, like it's a horrifying realization. And then we're like, oh damn, Zola really nailed this thing down.
1: It's very, very complicated. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I got a lot of feelings Absolutely. in this so, movie. <laughs> I yeah. No, I like I, I I really love all the personal stuff with Cap. And honestly for me, like, you know, that's what I come to the films for. Like, you know, when I go into Iron Man, I wanna see Tony's arc. You know, yeah, I want to yeah, see absolutely. his identity story. I want to see his struggle. You know, um, when I go into these movies, I really want to see that very, very personal story because that's what makes it all have meaning for me. And these these bigger, you know, the set pieces, the, you know, the um, helicarriers and all of the action pieces to me are like, okay, you know, whatever, fine, let's get through this so we can get to the good stuff. But, you know, when we have that final scene, this, this you know, climactic scene where, where Steve is trying to save Bucky. Mm-hmm. You know, he's trying to remind Bucky of who he is, you know. Um, I love all of that. And then I feel so terrible for Bucky because oh. none of this is his fault. None of this is his choosing. And I feel that way about Nat too. Like we yes. have this whole thing where like Nat's got all this darkness and Nat's been so bad and yeah, but she was she wasn't given a choice. You know, she was raised in an orphanage that makes you an assassin. Like, what are you going to do with that? And Bucky, you know, was was experimented on and then pulled out and then cryo-froze between things. His memory was wiped. He doesn't know who he is. All he knows are his orders. Like, he doesn't know what's going on. And so the idea that he can he can have this feeling so bad about everything he's done, even though it's really not his fault. Yeah. yeah. You know, that to me feels unfair. It feels unfair that Nat is the, you know, is the bad one. She's the one with the dark past. She's got to clear out the, you know, the red in her ledger, whether you see that as debt or blood one way or the other. Right. Um, But it's, it's not her fault. No, I think there's like, a parallel she story made between choice. that she made the and the best Bucky. choice she could. Mm hmm. Yeah, I I mean, I think think there
0: is no mistake there. I mean, when Cap says he is, in fact, the kind you save, I would not be surprised if he's thinking about Natasha, who has changed as a person on their road trip, you know? Yeah. Because you're right, she doesn't have a choice until she Mm -hmm. has a choice, and then she chooses the best thing she can in S.H.I.E.L.D. And when that turns out to not be great...
1: Yes, that was so beautiful. Yeah, she goes in on it, you know? Yeah, yeah.
0: So I know I think I think there is a very much a parallel storyline going on between Natasha and Bucky that just makes a lot like the again, it's a little muddied because uh, they're doing Hydra things and not always Russian things. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, their their background that he was being operated out of Russia. I mean, there's, you know, yeah. so much stuff that is similar between them and how they don't entirely have their own choices to make until they do. Mm-hmm. And then what choice do they make? You know
1: and then yeah they make the best they choice, make the best choice, you know, they, the best can choice at they can that moment, you know they can in that moment yeah but I love this um you know here's Nat she's been through all this stuff she did all this terrible stuff she turned it around she worked for S.H.I.E.L.D. and then S.H.I.E.L.D. turns back yes oh my god you know, because this is the thing is that she put her faith in S.H.I.E.L.D., that S.H.I.E.L.D. would direct her in the right direction, that if they ask her to do something, it's for the ultimate good. Yep. It's a good thing to do because her internal moral compass isn't, I think, quite as, you know, finely Nobody tuned gave anybody's, as anybody's right, as, as finely tuned as Steve's. Right. So she doesn't have that. What she has is S.H.I.E.L.D. So she's depending on S.H.I.E.L.D. to be her redemption. And then Shield turns on her. I mean, that we we sit with that for just a moment. We don't really sit with it that much, but my God, that's powerful.
0: It, yeah, it really, it really is. And I wish, I really do wish we had a little more interiority on Natasha in this movie. Yeah. Um. But at the same time, since it's Captain America's movie, the fact yes. that they have had all these other conversations leading up to there, like it, it's not even backfilling. Or, or yeah. we know, we know what's going on. You know, we know she mm-hmm. realized. Um, right. Oh, yeah. It's pretty great. Pretty great.
1: <laughs> it is. And I love this platonic relationship yeah. between Nat and Cap. It is so nice. And I think part of it is, too, that she's, she's so withdrawn. Like, she's so disconnected. She wants him to connect because I think she doesn't feel that she can. Yeah. You know, she wants him to have the things if that can. If I can save him, can. I save
0: myself a little.
1: Right. Or if I can save him, at least I can enjoy that. He has this Mm -hmm. thing like Mm -hmm. I can't make that happen for me. Um, But I love everything about that relationship, about how well they work together. But this isn't he's not hitting on her like the moment where they're on the escalator coming down and she says, kiss me. Right. In any other movie. Any other movie that would have been, they would have kissed for a moment and then looked at each other and their eyes would have met. and It would have been this moment of realization for both of them that there's something there. But it's just, you know, they just do it to get away. And then they're talking and it's just this very fun, comfortable, what was that, your first kiss since 1945? <laughs> well, <laughs> you yeah, know? neither yeah. one
0: of them is invested in that. Like, Like Steve oh, is right. taken aback and like, OK, clearly this is not what the most obvious guess would be. And mm-hmm. Natasha is like, yes, this is how we get away. This This is is how we get away. Exactly. You know, neither one of them is there, is emotionally present for that kiss. Yeah.
1: Right. And so,
0: yeah, thank you, Marcus McFeely, Russos et al., for actually treating these characters like characters.
1: (laughs) Actually treating these characters like characters. Now, I'm not going to say that Nat is not basically, you know, a big gift to the male gaze. I mean, you know, the way that we style her, the way that we dress her. I mean, you know, we're not there 100% yet. Also, they get blown up, right? Okay, this is the thing. This is a girl thing. I don't even know if you noticed this, but I noticed it. It makes me nuts. They get blown up. They go to Sam's, right? Then she's, you know, out of the shower. Her hair is all curly and wet, and she's drying it, but her makeup is Lawless, perfect, right? Then he's like, Sam comes in, he's like, Oh, I made breakfast, you know, and they go out to eat breakfast. Her hair is perfectly straight, perfectly blowed out. Like her makeup is absolutely perfect. And I'm like, No, bitch, you need tools for that shit. You need a pet. You're going to tell me that Sam has a flat iron and a whole Sephora bag in his house? I don't think so. It was in her go know? bag.
0: It I, was yeah, not in her like, go in bag. One of those don't bracelets. listen to me. <laughs>
1: No, it's like, this is the kind of thing, like, God forbid we should have this incredibly beautiful woman who is beautiful on her own, you know, whatever, not with full makeup and hair and the leather outfit. Like, it just makes me nuts because we do, she is very much a tribute to the male gaze. We have tons of that in here, and I'm just letting that go because the characterization and the writing is actually really good. It's just the styling. It's also a
0: thing that really works when she's working. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. we see this very strongly in Avengers when she looks like the weak, helpless sort of debutante. Mm -hmm. And we're fine with it because she's working, you know.
1: Right. Um, And -hmm. it's a
0: little much for storming a pirate taken ship.
1: Yeah. But, you know, at Mm -hmm. the
0: same time, war paint, whatever makes you feel comfortable and ready to go to work. Whatever it is
1: you've got to kick ass in. But, yeah, but, like, we can't have her be vulnerable in her appearance no, ever. ever she's always got to be completely you know sexed up and and i'm sorry sam does not have a flat iron in his no. house and she doesn't have time all they would have had to do is lighten up the makeup and put a ponytail on her and i would have been fine I, no i get it i would it. have been am like, with, all you. Right. I'm with you. you know but i'm very tired of that requirement that the women be gorgeous every freaking minute absolutely you know yeah
0: yeah yeah i'm not actually pushing back i'm saying the problem is it works so well when she's working That, you know, I'm now very alert or I'm trying to be more alert to that kind of thing. And because it works with her character so much of the time she's on screen, it didn't really Mm -hmm. catch me this time.
1: Yeah, no. It's she got blown up, (laughs) right? You know, she got she got blown up. up She's got like two smudges, makeup on, right? (laughs) You know, and it's just like it's let her have no makeup on. Let her have a ponytail, like because honestly, women see this, you know, and this is and and it's one thing when she's working. Yes, absolutely. When I go to work, I put my makeup on. I do my hair. There's time for that shit, you know. She's at work. She's got her leather outfit because that's what makes her feel powerful. All right, do your Wonder Woman pose. Go kick some ass, Nat, I'm with you, right? That's fine. (laughs) But this thing where women in these movies, and especially these movies that are very much geared toward a predominantly male audience, right? Um, it's that they cannot ever be out of makeup. They cannot ever have their hair a mess. They cannot ever be, you know, wearing loose clothing or comfortable clothing, even, you know. And so when we style these women specifically so that we maximize their sexiness without really letting them be just women, then every woman watching is like, okay, so when something terrible happens to me, I'm still supposed to look that good. Yeah. You know, if I've been blown up and I'm like seeking shelter in somebody's house, you know, like then, you know, it just, to me, it, You don't have to make her, you know, ugly. I I dare you to try with Scarlett Johansson. (laughs) You know, I I I ask you to do your best shot at that. You could get her first thing in the morning. Whatever she wakes up like, I guarantee is gorgeous. But, you know, I mean, just a little something. So I really like the way that Marcus and McFeely wrote it. Yes. Um, I would like to see some styling with the women that doesn't require that they be that even in their, you know, their vulnerable moments, even in their lowest moments, they're still sexed up, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and that I find troublesome.
0: I'm going to be very interested to see how Mm -hmm. this is handled in Captain Marvel. Because she's Air Force, you know, I. I don't know. I, I don't have anything to say other than my eyes are now on this. And she seems like the least likely character to, in character anyway, need that mm-hmm. kind of look. You know, yeah. her power mm-hmm. is in her uniform and in her skill as a pilot. And I mean, that bleed over with Nat, where part of her power is in that femme fatalness, yeah. mm-hmm. doesn't make it okay, but it makes it, you know, muddy.
1: No, I think that it's, I think it's okay. Like, I think that the fact that she's sexy and leather and all that kind of, like, that's her thing. That's what she chooses. That's what makes her powerful. That is her costume. That's her superhero costume. This is is her Superman suit, right? Totally fine. But in a context where she would not have any time to put that on, and also in a context where she's in a place where she's safe. She's in sanctuary Mm -hmm. in that moment. Let her put her fucking hair in a ponytail. No, I, just, I'm with you. you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like just let it be. Let her be a woman in some context, in some moments, you know? And um and we don't. It's very, very male gazy with her. And I get it, it's Scarlett Johansson, you know, I mean she's beautiful, but we're we're writing her so well. Let's style her in a way that also respects her as a character as a person Mm -hmm. without making her we didn't make her into caps love interest. you know she is there as a badass partner you know um i like that i like that a lot i think it's really good but you know after a while that kind of thing does does get really old and it does send a message to women that you cannot ever no matter what you've been through you cannot ever not look beautiful you know, and I think that that is, is, is a bad It's insidious
0: and awful. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. And we get that a lot. Um, so one thing I wanted to mention, and I don't know how you feel about this, but you know Rumlow? <laughs>
0: oh, I know Rumlow. The, he's the <laughs> other one besides Sharon that somebody's going to go, Josh, you missed Rumlow. But Civil War works better for him, too. We'll get to that guy. But yes, tell oh, me about okay. Rumlow. OK. So he's
1: actually a guy. Well, Rumlow, in the beginning, right, you know, we have this whole thing where he's he's kind of obviously in love with cap right like like because the one guy's like you know cap jumps out of the um plane without a parachute and then the other guy goes oh was he wearing a parachute and he goes no no he wasn't oh yeah right and then <laughs> caps in there he's taking everybody down he has the guy with the gun on him it looks like he's gonna get shot rumlow parachutes in shoots the guy cap says thanks and he says yeah you seemed pretty helpless without me you know like he's obviously in love with cap so when this whole thing turns around and he's hydra and then he's trying to like kill everybody um i i wanted to see some internal conflict there I wanted to see in Rumlow when they're in Rumlow they're all in the elevator and they're about to kill Cap like I wanted him to have a moment where he's like oh
0: oh no this is a this is a good supervillain thing this is a take (laughs) that some people put out there for Batman and the Joker that the Joker is in love with Batman
1: yeah and
0: Uh so when he is spurned you know
1: uh, Mm -hmm. the opposite
0: of love is indifference not hate you know
1: And so in Rumlow's Mm -hmm.
0: case, it's all like a nice, pleasant little crush right up until he's like, listen, Hydra. And then Cap, are you going to do Hydra? No, of course I'm not. What are you, Nick Spencer? (laughs) And then it switches and the crush is now like burning, seething hatred.
1: Right, right. No, it's a... I love reading it it that way. It had
0: not occurred to me. Oh, I
1: saw I saw so I saw such a hard crush there I mean that guy was in love with cap next time you watch it pay attention because he is in love with cap.
0: no I love it I'm gonna so be <laughs> listening for his dialogue when he shows back up in civil war
1: mm-hmm. I mean just
0: yeah. I'm going to be listening to all of how he talks to Steve and just be like, we'll mm. see if
1: it's in there. Like, you know, in, in the, the actual dialogue as written, it could be played whatever way, but the actor was playing lust. He was very into it. The actor him. was playing yes. lust. Yeah. yeah. He was. And I mean, who wouldn't, I don't care where you're on the Kinsey scale. You meet up with Captain America. You're going to feel a thing.
0: I'm very, very straight. <laughs> and I have complicated feelings about Steve Rogers. <laughs>
1: All right. So while we're talking about things that are, you know, a little bit maybe uncomfortable, um, uh, a million cops descending upon an unarmed black man and just shooting willfully. Um, And I mean, I understand they're not cops. They're Hydra. You know, I understand that Nick Fury and his special supercar is not Not exactly what you call unarmed, (laughs) but but not but not attacking. Like he has no guns pointed at them, like so. For me, watching that scene um, was really, really disturbing. It was really upsetting for me. Um, not just because it's Samuel L. Jackson and Nick Fury, who, despite Nick's obvious, you know, problems in the way that he sees the world, <laughs> I love dearly. Sure. I love Nick. Every great time character. I see him, I get happy inside. He's a great character. I wish that we consciously textually acknowledged some of that internal conflict for him I would really like to see him feeling conflicted about some of the choices that he's making um but overall I love him and that shot that sequence for me was was really disturbing did that bother you I
0: I don't want to say that it didn't bother me because that's an issue that just keeps on growing at this point
1: Right. And the greater context is that Nick is powered, like he's a power. Well, you're sure. talking about the, the power dynamic between, you know, between one Nick Fury and 25 cops with AR-15s. The power dynamic still kind of leans Nick Fury. right? Like, yeah, you because know? they have to Whereas, escalate with Bucky. Right. Whereas the power dynamic in the regular world, it's, you know, one cop with a gun and then it's a black man who's doing nothing and getting shot at. You know, or killed, um, and so all of that stuff is. I think. I think it's it's the external cultural context about it that makes me really disturbed by it more than the actual story context, which is which is different because Nick is so highly powered. They
0: also acknowledge it textually. Yes. You know when Nick says, "Do you want to see my lease?
1: Do you want to see? my He knows lease? Yes, what they do. two
0: side eye looking white cops are. You know.
1: Yeah. Um, So
0: they they recognize it textually. It is Mm -hmm. uncomfortable and then just escalates to the point of ridiculousness. So you only have a minute to think about it. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, no, I'm with you. That's that's a that's a tough one. And and I think I would I would feel worse about it if they had not actually in the dialogue recognized that before it escalated to the point that it wasn't just cops and an African-American man.
1: Right, yeah, yeah. But it's it's tough to watch. It's a really tough scene to watch. And this was, you know, 2014 before, I mean, I'm not going to say before that stuff was happening, but before I think we had quite the consciousness of it that we have now, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's it's definitely something that, that, you know, with the greater cultural context um, is is, I think, much more difficult to watch now. Yes,
0: I would like to think that the broadened perspective of white people mm-hmm since 2014 is what's making that you know more uncomfortable to white people who are revisiting this movie like I'm a little ashamed at myself that it wasn't more of a thing for me in 2014 not not that I didn't care but that that image in front of me did not conjure all the things that it does now when I
1: rewatch the movie you know. Right. Well, we had the privilege. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's white privilege, right? We have the privilege not to see it. And at the time, because people weren't speaking, they weren't showing these videos, they weren't talking about it, you know, quite as much, or they weren't being heard. Let's say not talking about. It. Let's say they weren't yes. being heard as yes. much as they're being heard now. So it's something that, yeah, you know, I wish that I had understood it. At the time, and I didn't, but I do mm-hmm. now, and so it makes so me let's really bring uncomfortable it up. Absolutely. to see it. Yeah, so I mean, let's let's talk about it a little bit because it is it is really uncomfortable. Um, now you
0: seem to have some issues with yeah. the unbreakableness of Captain America's bones. Tell me about that.
1: Okay, what is? I mean, like he's okay. He's super powered. Like he's really strong and he's super fast and he can like jump out of a plane or whatever. But like he falls through you know, glass and and multiple stories and lands on asphalt. On a shield, and though. Just on, its, well, on a shield. I mean, I understand a vibranium has great shock absorbency or whatever. But I mean, that's just like, it seems to me like there's more. I mean, the super soldier thing, does that make his his bones not break does that make him is that what the, i mean i don't understand i guess the super soldier i always saw as him being like incredibly strong and fast but still like human right okay here is some fun <laughs> stuff okay i
0: think like you can kind of uh-huh. do what you want with this on one level we are basically talking about magic
1: yes. right so mm-hmm. he's
0: as tough as plot armor
1: Right.
0: You know, he he doesn't get shot by the uh-huh. billions of bullets that all those no name guys are putting in the air. But Bucky shoots. Yeah. Him. Plot armor. Right. And
1: right. when Bucky shoots him. Yeah. But it's you know, Bucky. Bucky shoots it's him. It's not one of these mopes in a
0: SWAT can... outfit, you know.
1: Right. But whoever I mean, like, regardless of who shot him, Cap is shot right through we see the blood coming and it's shot in the gut which is my understanding it's like a really really bad it's injury not good to news. get like it's not like through the soldier it's through the shoulder right so he gets shot in the gut he manages to put the thing in stop the executions that the Hydra was planning this thing is crashing he's been fighting with this guy who's incredibly powerful who's also his best friend he's he's letting bucky beat him right then he falls into the water yeah And is left just on the bank of the river, right? And he's fine. Okay. Like, he's fine. Let's
0: play with the science in as much as we want to. Okay. All right. So, if you get, if your muscle mass gets that much denser, Uh you might be in danger of tearing your own joints apart, Mm -hmm. right? So, my thought process is that as much as his muscle mass is augmented, so must be his ligaments, his bones,
1: Yeah. all that
0: stuff has to get tougher just so he Mm -hmm. doesn't tear his own body apart doing super soldier stuff.
1: Right. That's what I think. Mm -hmm.
0: So I do think that his bones would be much more difficult to break than the average Mm person. I also think Mm -hmm. that he probably weighs 350 pounds.
1: Well, right. Sam says that, right? You're a lot heavier than yeah. you look. He's like, I had a big breakfast. Yeah.
0: <laughs> He's got to be actually denser, you know, Yeah, um, in order yeah. to to have that much muscle in the same relatively human-sized shape, you know. So most of the time he lands on the shield, anytime he lands on the shield, it's like hand wave. The shield soaked it up. But yeah. for me, mm-hmm. I am prepared to give a lot of leeway on just like, not bullets, because that is a different Animal, you but know, shot
1: through the yeah. gut, but
0: the broken bones and the blunt trauma. Mm-hmm. I think he can probably yeah. shrug off a lot more blunt trauma than any given human being.
1: Well, I imagine, like, you know, a lot more than and like any human being would obviously be, you know, just a splat on the sidewalk, but like something, I know, like, you think he'd at least say, ow, <laughs> like,
0: hey, sometimes he moves slower.
1: Sometimes he you remember,
0: moves uh, at the end of <laughs> Avengers when, uh, Thor's like are you okay and his answer is what are you getting sleepy love it (laughs) but he also looks like he's about to fall over when he says it you know
1: yeah no fair enough fair (laughs) enough but I'm just like that's that's a bit much um okay so one of the things I wanted to ask you about though um Cap in the Captain American Museum oh wow yeah he's he's going and revisiting his past and what what do you think that's about? Why why did he go to the museum? And he's there, you know, incognito. He says shh to the little boy who catches him and sees him and, and recognizes him, you know. He he wants to revisit his past he sees this whole thing now i understand from our perspective for somebody who's not seen any mcu at all we need to get a little bit of that history in there so that people know who captain america is and where he came from what his history was so that we can you know understand the context of peggy we can understand the context of bucky Mm -hmm. right but but at that moment for him as a character what do you think he was seeking in that
0: i think that's the last time he felt connected
1: yeah yeah,
0: I mean, he had because
1: we follow that. He up. had Bucky. Yeah.
0: He had Peggy. Mm-hmm. He had the Howling Commandos as yeah. you know, like his comrades in arms. And mm-hmm. I think, I think that's the last time he felt uncomplicatedly on mission. Yeah, and connected to other human beings.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you know I, what I see in in his story is is trauma.
0: Yeah, you yeah. know,
1: because trauma does it shuts you down. You know, it it makes you separate. It it pulls you back from people, you know, and I, I see that in him. And then immediately afterwards, we see that lovely thing with uh the video of Peggy when she's mm, younger. Yes. And she says, even after he died, Steve was still changing my life because he saved a bunch of people, one of which she married later. Um, And then, you know, God, we have that moment when he's talking to her and he says, I couldn't leave my best girl. Not when she owes me a dance. <sighs> oh god (laughs) yeah it kills me that kills me but that's his connection and he turns for a moment and she doesn't she doesn't remember that he came back and she has that experience all over again i mean my god
0: i i think there's pro in in the same way that there's like a parallel story between natasha and bucky Mm -hmm. i think that there is a similar parallel story with Steve, right? His trauma Mm -hmm. is so different than theirs. Yeah. And so the way that it affects him negatively is very different. Mm -hmm. It's less, you know, becoming a mindless soldier or it's less dark. I I mean, for lack of a better Mm -hmm. word than Natasha, where she gives her moral compass to shield. But I mean, he's not, okay, who does he mm-hmm. hang out with? You know, what is his connection? Right. We just talked. What is his connection? And mm-hmm. yeah, I think I think that visiting the museum and visiting Peggy is just him dealing with his trauma that he has the best he can. And you know, if we want, again, this is very much like this would be sub-subtextual, but there's a yeah. real interesting place where you could say that... Steve is the person who is dealing with his mental health issues more or less on his own and doing okay yeah. at it. Not mm-hmm. doing great. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but is, is more visibly holding it together, you know, mm-hmm. uh, whereas we can yeah. kind of see the problem more clearly in Bucky and Natasha. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, this yeah. is how he connects with Sam also is in their shared experience as a soldier, which is a traumatizing experience.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So
0: yeah, I I mean, I I think that's I think he and Sam are both that guy. They're more that guy. Like they they are traumatized, yeah. but are at least outwardly more capable of handling it. They're subsuming it in helping others. Like that. They're both doing that, just in very different ways.
1: Yeah. No. Definitely. But it's just this. Oh God. It was so powerful. It's heartbreaking. It was so affecting. And I love that. I love that whole thing. Um. Another thing that I loved. Was uh, dealing with Sitwell on the roof.
0: <laughs> yes. And then also out the car. Mm.
1: Oh, yeah. No, out the car was really fun. But I love this where Sitwell is so secure because he knows that Steve always does the right thing for the individual. Yeah. He knows. He's like, you're not going to push me off the roof. And she's like, no, but she will. Yeah. And then, of course, but he only allows that because he knows that Sam is going to pick him up, you know, and bring him back. So that we can scare him enough that he'll actually start talking, which I just I loved that whole sequence. It was great.
0: (laughs) Yeah. No, that is great. Everything with Sitwell immediately. I mean, he's always the kind of like slimy, gross guy every Mm -hmm. time he shows up. And then you just get that super ratified with Gary Shandling, who has also been the slimy, gross guy, but in different ways every time he showed up. (sighs)
1: Oh God, that got to press the flesh. That's a 23 year old kind of hot. And I'm like, look at you, you frog looking old guy. Like here you are the 23 year old. It's disgusting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But that lets us yeah. know, okay, Jasper, super bad guy. By the way, let's whisper right. hail Hydra like morons on the street, but webs.
1: Exactly.
0: That was for us, you know.
1: Yes. Um, mm-hmm.
0: And and then, yeah, immediate comeuppance for Sitwell. It's delightful yes. please tell me that somebody says good damn riddance sit well on agents of shield at some point
1: oh I no they know. never
0: think about them again it's fine
1: i don't think they acknowledge <laughs> it i don't i don't remember we'll see they got we'll bigger see fish soon. to fry i'm sure they got they got lots of stuff uh going on there um another thing that i thought was really fun was i loved seeing jenny Agutter, who plays councilwoman holly even though it was Nat in disguise, <laughs> but I loved seeing her kick some serious ass in that moment. I really wanted it so bad to be actually <laughs> Councilwoman Holly, um, but it was at least fun to see Jenny Agudar kind of get that moment, you know, while the actress is playing that. So um, I loved that. And I thought that that was really fun.
0: Yeah. That's another one mm-hmm. of those places kind of like May where we let mm-hmm. an air quotes older woman kick a bunch of ass it's it's great Mm -hmm. you know it puts me in mind of a thing that i've thought about with uh like star wars where if we flipped this around who what would the obi-wan kenobi the late the female the woman obi-wan kenobi who would we Mm -hmm. get to play that you know i like that Mm -hmm. mental game like who do we get to be this amazing air quotes older woman badass so, well, it's right. strong. Yeah.
1: I want to see these older women. You know, I mean, May is like 50. You know, she's not that old, you know, but she's older, especially by the context of how, you know, the women that we see kicking ass who are always, always younger, you know. Um, so it's really fun to be able to see that. I would love for May and Nat to hang out. I think Nat could use some time with May. <laughs> uh,
0: okay. I was left in a very complicated space with May, so I'll get back to you.
1: Okay. All right. That's fine. (laughs) I don't know quite how to feel about that
0: suggestion right now
1: no I certainly I certainly understand that we will we will return to that at some later date Um, it was also very fun for me to see Abed from Community Danny Pudi is one of the uh, techs in the in the end when the Triskelion was being taken over so I mean that was a small joy for me because I love Danny Pudi from Community he was in there so that was really fun so that was really fun but I do have an Easter egg it's not a um, it's not a like Marvel Easter egg but I found an Easter egg Absolutely. At the end on Nick's tombstone, we have this quote from Ezekiel twenty five seventeen. It just starts with the path of the righteous man. Uh-huh. Right. And did you catch that?
0: Um I did. Yes.
1: Yes, I'm you sorry. did from the Samuel L. Jackson's monologue in Pulp Fiction. Well, no. We I are mean, of let's face similar
0: it. ages. You have to know what it was like for me when Pulp Fiction came out. Right. I didn't miss Pulp <laughs> Fiction, you know. <laughs>
1: I know, but it was really fun to kind of see that. And it was obviously a Pulp Fiction reference because that's a huge moment for Samuel L. Jackson when he does that whole monologue in Pulp Fiction. Um, but what do you think it means in context for Nick Fury? Because the the whole quote is, The path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the inequities of the selfish and the tyranny of evil men. Blessed is he who, in the name of charity and goodwill, shepherds the weak through the valley of the darkness. For he is truly his brother's keeper and the of lost children, and I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger those who attempt to poison and destroy my brothers. And you will know I am the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon you. So, in this context, without you know the extratextual you know pulp fiction thing, this is what's chosen for Nick Fury's tombstone. Is that a message?
0: Well, sure. Wouldn't he like to think he was still on the path of the righteous man? Yeah. I don't think so.
1: I think this doesn't speak to this this wonderful internal conflict we were hoping no, for. No, I <laughs> I think he Dick. still
0: feels pretty okay.
1: I think he, feel, he still feels pretty damn righteous. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Standing <laughs> next to
0: Captain America is, yeah, seems legit. Yeah. No.
1: Yeah. No. <laughs> I thought that was fun. Um, All right. So, Joshua, what's your favorite part? Captain America, The Winter Soldier.
0: I kind of have like three tied... But two of them are very closely linked. So um, what I really appreciate, we've talked a lot about this too, so it's no surprise that it's my favorite stuff. But these friendships Mm -hmm. that Steve develops with Natasha and Sam throughout the movie. Very, Mm -hmm. very different, but very excellent examples of what friendships should look like, you know? Yeah. They're not the same. They bring different things to the table and... And and this is true, you know, they're superheroes, they're action heroes. This is true in the actual doing of things, but also personality-wise. They they mm-hmm. bring different stuff to the relationship and they change and grow together. I mean, not the three of them, yeah. but like Steve mm-hmm. and Nat have a wider view of the world because of the conversation that Steve and Nat has, both of them, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Steve and Sam. Change one another in good ways. I I really think Sam is probably the best example for Steve as far as getting reconnected, you know, because Mm -hmm. like I said, Sam takes his trauma and turns around and says, I'm going to help each individual person, you know, one at a time. Mm -hmm. And we Mm -hmm. don't get enough solid male to male friendships or male to female relationships that don't have some other nonsense mixed in. So I love those things. And mm-hmm. then I have to give an also mention to the captain's orders stuff.
1: Yes, man.
0: Mm-hmm. So strong. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, not just like the whole package. Cap gives this speech that you can completely buy from him. And then Sam's like, yeah. what, did you just do that off your head? You didn't write anything down? <laughs> so you get another one of those friendship <laughs> moments. And then you have this tech who just says no. Even with a gun to his yeah. head. And that's what I meant to you yeah. earlier when I was saying, like, I don't feel this movie is as strong without the larger philosophical thing.
1: Sure, Just sure. because mm-hmm. that's
0: so powerful. I mean, we're here for Steve and Bucky.
1: Mm-hmm. But to mm-hmm. watch
0: this tech and then to watch Sharon and then, you know, more yeah. and more. And it just become a bunch of people who have grown very comfortable doing the wrong thing, deciding to put mm-hmm. themselves in danger by doing the right thing. Yeah. I, I could... I could use that. I could use yeah. that more it's good stuff. in 2018, you know? So, sure, so I had a lot of favorite parts. I'm sorry. I'm just bogarting all the favorite parts. Lonnie, what's your favorite part?
1: No, that's okay. Um, it's Stephen Bucky at the end. Mm. It's, I, I, I'm with you to the end of the line, you know, like after everything, this, you know, Bucky, his best friend has been trying to kill him. He does not see that as betrayal. He does not see that as Bucky is lost. You know, when Sam says, you know, I think this may be the kind of guy we stop instead of the kind of guy we save. That's not how Cap sees it. You know, Cap will lay down his life to save this guy. I'm with you to the end of the line. Oh, God, it killed me. It was so powerful, so good. And I just absolutely love that. That's my favorite part. Well, and we
0: tie this very violent or physical altercation between them Mm -hmm. to an emotional moment in time. Also, you know, that's the origin as far as we're concerned as the viewers of this movie of that line. I'm with you to the end of the line is Bucky taking care of Steve after he lost everybody, which is basically disconnection. Steve decides he's disconnected because his mom is dead and he's going to go take care Mm -hmm. of himself on his own. And Bucky's response is, Mm -hmm. I know you can do it, but you don't have to. Oh, I mean.
1: Oh, God.
0: Yeah. Hey, this was my favorite (laughs) for a really long time for a reason. (laughs) (laughs)
1: it's a really good (laughs) movie
0: if you enjoyed this conversation and would like to join in come find us on twitter lonnie is at lonnie diane rich and i am at joshua unruh and the hashtag is listen up a-holes
1: Both Chipperish Media and Pulp Diction Productions are entirely supported by listeners like you who are with you till the end of the line. Show your support by visiting our Patreon pages or by leaving a great review on Apple Podcasts to make it easier for more people to find us and join in the conversation.
0: The links to Apple Podcasts and both of our Patreon pages are easy to find right there in the show notes. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Listen Up A-Holes. We'll be back next time with our return to the good bits of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. (laughs) Season 1, episodes 17 through 19. Until then, the price of freedom is high, and it's a price we're willing to pay. And if we're the only ones, so be it. But we're willing to bet we aren't.
1: Oh, that's good.
0: It's pretty maudlin' for our usual outros, but how do you not do that one?
1: It's powerful!
0: (laughs) It works, damn it who is a master of parkour and savat, which is French kickbox. Which is French kickboxing? I cannot say kickboxing.
1: <laughs> oh, do it again.
0: <laughs> I'm doing that whole thing again. You just watch. I'm going to kill it.